Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode 152, as you guys can all see in the headline. I don't even know why I actually go about and saying what number we're on because. Well, not everyone know. looks at it. They just go, hey, there's a new episode. It. Let's listen. All right. Well, this is your boy, East Coast Trev, and. This is Steve. <laughs> What's up, Steve? Same old, same old, right brother. It's kind of crazy, right? I mean, it's always something going on, man. And it's been a busy week. And of course. Yeah, it's been it's been nuts, dude. I mean, fishing is like full fledged going on. We're in the new moon, um, which we talk about this in the podcast about the the moon phases and how important they are to the fishing world. And in all reality, it's it's great because one thing that they've changed here in Connecticut is that we have a slot limit on striped bass, and so you can keep twenty eight to thirty five as your slot on your keeper keeper size. Anything under over's got to go back. And we've noticed here in the new moon, we're like two or three days away from the new moon at this point, maybe two at this point. And literally, we're, we fished an ebb tide this afternoon and could not find those slot fish because those big giant stripers, those 25 to 35, 40 pound fish are just going berserk. And it's the middle of the day. It was 11 to four in the afternoon. We caught three slot fish. We fished our ass off. We had 17 fish over 35 inches, which is phenomenal. I mean, that's a good day. Straight (laughs) phenomenal. Straight phenomenal. We've had 50 pounders. We're seeing more 30 to 40 pound fish than we've ever seen. So the slot is absolutely phenomenal. Well, it's it's funny because it's been nuts. in, In one of the real previous episodes, you talked about. 50 pounders being kind of a, you don't see them. Even the greatest don't see them. But you guys legitimately, right after we recorded that, pulled out multiple 50s. (laughs) Well, actually, it was this episode that we were talking about 50s. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. You turned around right after we recorded this and pulled out 50s. And it's it's not, so it was 51 and some change. And it 
And it's, it is one of those staples. It's like catching a giant muskie, as Scott talks about in this, this podcast. And it's like, those are just absolute monsters that not everybody, everyone fishes their life. So, like, in the striper world, you fish your entire life to catch a 40-plus inch fish, 40-inch plus fish, which is only about 22 to 25 pounds, depending on the time of the season. But, like, to catch a 50-plus inch fish, which around August, September – that fish is about a pound an inch. So, I mean, they're monster fish. And it's that time of year. Like, we get to this new moon here in the next couple of days, and literally for the next five days, we're going to see nothing but giant fish. And I don't know what it is, and it's not the tide. We talked about the tide, I think, in this podcast. Yep. But it's not the tide because the tide is the, the slowest running thing um, this new moon. So it's only running at, like, three one three five which is not really all that high on an ebb and then like four seven on a flood so it's really not that fast compared to what it would be in a full moon tide um so it's just the moon thing i don't know it's just weird i it's unexplainable it's the same with bucks and rut and the moon exactly like it's unexplainable like you think you have it figured out and you don't have it figured out like it's 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 just one of those things. It's just, but it's been amazing, man. It's the heart of our fishing season. The fishing has been absolutely phenomenal. We're seeing so many great fish. Captain Mike killed a close to like 250 pound thresher shark today. There's a ton around. Um, it's just, it's been great. The fishing has been great. The tuna fishing has been great. Everything, we're in the heart of the heart of the heart of good fishing season. And I think that. It's probably one of the better ones that we've seen in a very long time, at least the early 90s in the striped bass. Um, and it's it's only going to get better from here on out, man. Some of these regulations that we put into play have really started to take effect. They really yeah, have. That's honestly. awesome. I'm happy to hear that. It's a blessing. You know, it, it really is. I mean, those are those things that, like, you know, we have a lot of older gentlemen on the boat, and they'll be like, oh, we got to kill that thing. Like, I can't believe I'm letting go of 45-inch fish, blah, blah, blah. And I was like... Well, bro, not for nothing, but, like, that's the reason why we don't have that. And a lot of people don't realize that, like, striped bass over a 35-inch range, those are our breeding fish. They have 200,000 eggs in them, and they're at that point where they're at their sexual maturity where those are our breeding fish. So when you start killing those, now you're killing generations. And I'll, I'll throw this even out there even further is that, in the next couple of years, we're going to have even more problems with catching slot limit fish because all those slot limit fish that we didn't get are now giant fish, right. and there's nothing coming from behind. So <laughs> what was when we're chasing 50-pounders is a staple, 60-pounders is going to be that staple. I personally honestly believe because if they stay in this realm, I think that we're going to see some of the best fishing that we've ever seen because these regulations are actually taking effect and they're actually doing the things that they're supposed to be doing. Nice. We're always 10 years behind. That is a promise, but it is what it is. That's just the way it goes. There's nothing we can do. Ride it out, man. See how it's it goes. Good fish. You know what I'm saying? It's nice to see good fish finally. You know, No and doubt. Those moons play big down, so it is what it is. But I'm honestly, we're that much closer to hunt stock. I am so pumped about it. We've been getting ready for it on the camping side because we get to camp because we 
are obviously podcasters and or YouTube guys or vendors or whatever you want to call us. But we get to camp there, so we're looking forward to that. And then getting all the new things going. We have a ton of giveaways from all of our sponsors across the board. Um, I mean, I'll run right through them here instead of doing an actual commercial like we always do, right? I mean, it's probably easier that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll start off with obviously Nor'easter game calls. They're actually donating a whole entire call line. There's a mix of all kinds of new calls, old calls, um, stuff that we haven't even seen before. So that stuff will be on the table at Huntstock. Um, Rack Bracket has donated a ton of T-shirts to give away for for Huntstock, which they're not even sponsoring. This isn't even their time of month. They do six months on, six months off. They swap it out with Bow Fishing Magazine. Um, they're giving away a ton of stuff. Um, so that will be on the table. Also, Zeus Broadheads has a ton of stuff that they're going to give away here at Huntstock. We have Latitude, Latitude, the uh, Method Two, uh, Classic Two, sorry. So the single panel saddle, we have one of those to give away. Um, who else? What am I missing here, dude? Zeus. Um, Zeus, I already said that. Um, the fishing trip. Oh, the fishing trip from Captain Seth Sport Fishing. So we're going to give away a six pack. Uh, charter um, for shrike bass fishing like we were just talking about. So we're going to give away one of those uh, value of $675, five hours on the otter. So that we're going to give away there. Um, I think that's it. I mean, there's just a pile of great stuff that we're giving away at Huntstock. Oh, and not Huntworth. They're giving away a top, a, a bottom, set. and a hat. A full set of early season stuff. So that's amazing. Um, there's just a ton of stuff. We have a ton of giveaways. We have a ton of merch that's never been seen. Stickers, um, hats, uh, all kinds of good stuff. It's all going to be there. So make sure you guys, if you haven't gotten your tickets yet, make sure to get them. Use the promo code Outdoor Drive on that one and uh, get yourself a ticket. Show up at least one of the days, if not all three. Um, we're going to be there. We'll be podcasting. We're actually on the main stage on saturday afternoon i believe and uh, saturday morning well no no saturday afternoon from 1 to one forty-five to 2 45 and then we're on there sunday morning right from 9 30 or 9 to 10 or 9 30 to 10 i don't remember 9 30 to 10 30 uh we have an hour slot on saturday and then there's an hour slot on sunday so we'll be on the in indoor on sunday and then the outdoor main stage on Saturday. So we'll be podcasting there. Um, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, also, Vital Ground Outdoors, they're giving a bunch of stuff away um, at our booth also. So, I mean, there's tons of giveaways. I think we're giving away more stuff than Huntstock. No, not really, but um, there's a <laughs> ton of door we're prizes. We're giving them around for their money. We're just, we're just giving away we're giving away the house, man. That's just what we're going to do. So, And all of our sponsors are doing that. We, we really appreciate those guys. Go and check them out. Um, if you're not going to be at Huntstock, maybe we'll save something to give away to all of our listeners. Um, maybe we won't give it away the whole house at Huntstock. We'll see what happens. We haven't really come up with how we're going to do it or what we're going to do, but we just know we're going to give away a ton of stuff, um, and we want to give back to the supporters. For you guys that subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, you name it. We can't thank you guys enough um, for everything that you guys do do. Uh, do do. Um, <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I, sorry, I always do that, right? Just saw it coming. Um, 
Yeah. If you guys haven't been over to the website, also, there's a ton of new merch on there. Um, a little bit of everything on the website. If you guys haven't checked it out, theoutdoordrive.com. Uh, it's all put together. It's some good stuff on there. Uh, some of that stuff goes back to helping support us, which makes this podcast possible. So uh, if it wasn't for you guys, we wouldn't be able to do so. But all right, enough of us rambling. Uh, let's go and check out. Do we have is is our boy Mike Salter on this week? I believe so. Well, let's go ahead and roll him right in. Bringing you the news for the cruise is our good buddy, Mike Salter. Take it away, Mike. Hey everyone, we're going to start this one off in Michigan, where the DNR's draft 2022 wolf management plan is now out for public comment. The management plan is being updated this year using public input to identify prominent issues, um, assess public attitudes, and review biological and social science surrounding wolves. People... Uh, are asked to take an online questionnaire uh, regarding the management plan, and that is due by August 4th. Now to Iowa, uh, where a couple of opportunities. First, the DNR has opened registration for a dove hunting and wing shooting workshop to be held on August 4th from 6 to 9 p.m. at the Butch Olson shooting range near Polk City. The program is offered to teach uh, skills needed to hunt, field dress, uh, and cook morning doves uh, to those with little or no dove hunting experience. Information will also be uh, will also include where to hunt, safe shooting practices, shooting techniques, and time on the gun range. The workshop is for those 18 years and older and costs $35. And you can register at https colon slash slash tinyurl.com slash 4ks9csjh. Also in Iowa, uh, the... The Amana uh, Sportsman Club in Homestead will be hosting uh, the DNR and Woods and Waters Project Small Game Workshop on August 13th from 5 to 8 p.m. The workshop is for those 18 years and older and will include uh, types of small game to hunt, scouting, equipment, shooting practice, uh, and how to clean and cook small game. This workshop costs $25 and you can register at tinyurl.com slash Two two EHV three PH. Now to Utah, where the Division of Wildlife Resources is proposing fee increases for hunting and fishing licenses and permits uh, for both resident and non-residents uh, due to inflation. The DWR is also proposing some minor rule changes and is asking for the public's feedback on all of these recommendations. The proposed fee increases for both resident and non-resident will roughly be ten percent, with a few exceptions. The regional advisory uh, councils have started holding public meetings on the recommendations with several still to come. Uh, the comment deadlines for southern, southeastern, and northern uh, RAC meetings uh, is today at midnight. And for the wildlife board meeting scheduled for August 25th, comments need to be submitted by August 18th. So get those in. Now to Montana, where Fish, Wildlife, and Parks is looking for public input on revisions to the statewide elk management plan. FWP is seeking input on the existing elk population objectives and local elk management challenges that should be considered in the revision. Uh, FWP will be hosting a series of public meetings throughout summer and fall uh, to gather ideas and input. 
the meetings date, the meeting dates, places, times, uh, and other details are posted on the Fish, Wildlife, and Parks website. Uh, the deadline for public comments is October 15th, and comments can be submitted online, emailed to fwpwld at mt.gov, or mailed to fwp. Uh, now some news on a couple of youth programs, first in Florida, uh, where the Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission's July meeting, uh, they unanimously approved changing the name of the high school fishing program to the school fishing club program uh, to more accurately portray the age range of the student participation. In 2021, the program welcomed 24 new uh, and 13 returning clubs. The program offers funding for clubs committed to completing the curriculum, uh, as well as pre and post tests and at least one conservation project. Club sponsors work to provide support and hands-on training in um, knot tying and gear assembly and assist with the club's local events. Uh, info about the 2022-23 program will be announced this summer. So for more information on the program, go to myfwc.com SFC. Lastly, to Kentucky, which is the latest state to now have the student air rifle program uh, now available after 17 individuals were certified as SAR basic air riflery instructors. Kentucky now joins Missouri, Kansas, Iowa, Indiana, Pennsylvania, and Texas in offering the program, which is designed for grades four through 12 and provides a solid uh, introduction to target shooting in a safe and fun way. Uh, for more information on this great new program, you can go to www.studentairrifleprogram.org. Uh, as always, if you have any news to send along, be greatly appreciated. We've got a bunch of stuff coming in. You can reach out to me at Mike Salter on Facebook or Bearded underscore Bowhunter21 on Instagram. And with that, enjoy the rest of your ride. The man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Mike Salter. We appreciate it. You guys can also come and meet him at Huntstock. I don't even know if he's going, but I'm going to make him go. So make sure you guys stop in and say say what's up to Mr. Mike Salter. He'll be in the booth with us. So will Madman Mardik. Um, so we can't thank those guys both enough for what they do for the podcast. But um, let's go on. Let's let's go see what Scott's got to say. Let, what do you think? Let's go uh, full school girl on this and get our hands wet. A little bit of musky. <laughs> Something a little bit different, you know, especially with the fly rods. So yeah, yeah. It's a fun one, guys. Learn. Stay tuned. Let's learn. All right, we're back on the phone with Scott Grassy. Scott, you there, buddy? Yes, sir, I am. Hey, man, thanks for taking the time and joining us here on The Drive. Absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity, and um, I'm a big fan, so I appreciate it. Really appreciate that, man. Really, really do. Why don't we turn this? Yeah, it really does, honestly. Why don't we turn this key, get this thing underway? Why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and what you do? Well, actually, I mean, I'm, my name's Scott Grassy, as you said. Um, I'm the owner-operator of Keystone Anglers Guide Service up here in northwestern Pennsylvania. And I guide for trout, um, steelhead, smallmouth bass, uh, pike, and my favorite fish, which is muskie. And it's all on the fly, and uh, that's uh sums up what i'm all about right there <laughs> yeah dude, that's awesome I, and that's kind of what sparked my interest when i had seen you actually on tiktok of all places and seeing all these giant musky on the fly rod man yeah yeah that's a passion of mine and something that i'm kind of you know when i get days off of guiding for different species i'm out chasing musky myself i mean those are the type of fish that kind of sparked my interest and kind of got me 
rejuvenated in the sport of fly fishing. You know, it kind of got stale over the years fishing for trout and and steelhead and stuff. Those fish are all fun, but they really don't challenge me. So the muskie definitely challenged me, and I go many, many days without catching a fish. So that's kind of what it's all about right there, being humbled, you know, occasionally and not just going out and catching a fish, but actually being challenged by the fish. So right. that's kind of do it. Yeah, and yeah. that was something I was going to bring up is is your favorite is muskie and you know everyone knows the muskie is a a fish of a thousand or ten thousand casts they say so it's yeah, it's the fish of ten thousand casts unless you're fishing with a fly and then it's a hundred thousand casts see and that's <laughs> what i was going to ask is okay you know you took something that's already difficult and really amplified it so exactly yep. that's exactly what i did and and along that same line whenever i first uh, started fly fishing for these things i didn't have a lot of knowledge on the sport i didn't have anyone i could actually talk or at there wasn't a lot of resources out there for for doing it so i kind of did it on my own and at the time i didn't have a 12 weight rod which i use now i was using my seven weight so i'm figuring you know i'm gonna i'm gonna make this even more challenging i'm gonna use a lighter rod you know it just made sense at the time you know i wasn't really understanding the whole process and you know we were throwing on a seven weight rod you're throwing you know three four inch flies and now i'm throwing these things i don't know if you could see them but that's 16 inches right there so casting big flies on a light fly rod for weeks and weeks i ended up damaging my shoulder and i'm paying for it right now so wow that's absolutely incredible hey like a 16 inch fly oh there you are we yeah. missed you <laughs> yeah. yeah but an inch fly wow I mean, it's the size I use most of the time. Um, other times I'll downsize and go, this is a 10 inch fly and we catch a lot of fish on this too. So, but yeah, That's awesome. but throwing them on a light fly rod really wasn't the smart way to go. And I kind of regret it now because my shoulders jacked up and I, I probably don't have a uh, rotator cuff left and now my elbows bugging me. So <laughs> Less lesson to be learned there for anyone that wants to get into the sport. <laughs> yeah. So what is the weight on something like that? Like you think fly fishing, I think, you know, dry flies that are getting sucked off the top on a floating line. But how does this totally, this is totally different. Totally different. This is, ch we call it chuck and duck. You know, you're literally just <laughs> chucking big meaty flies out there and, you know, there's different ways of retrieving them. You know, you strip them in a lot of times. Or I, recently, I've been catching a lot of my muskie on a two-hand retrieve, which is tucking the rod butt underneath your armpit and keeping your rod tip low in the water and then just two-handing it back in, like swimming these flies. Okay. Um, see, I don't know if you guys can see this tail one yeah. here, this dragon tail. And that, that tail is going through the water exactly like a bucktail spinner that you know gear guys use all the time so that that tail gets a lot of action off of these fish so um i i've been using this technique quite a bit now that the water's kind of warmed up for us recording in progress You're that's good. insane yeah that's crazy it's just mind-blowing to me so are you putting these things into structure or how do you go about trying to find an area where where these fish hide yeah, they, what I've been finding and what's really helped me figure these fish out as far as what their tendencies are is I, I got a Garmin Panoptics a little over a year ago, the live scope. 
Mm-hmm. And what I've been what I've been noticing is, um, you know, these fish are tucked away in structure, you know, hiding in wood, bellied on the bottom, hiding around rocks and stuff when they're not in in a total feed mode. Um, and what happens is when they start wanting to feed, they start getting a little more active, and I'll start seeing them on the live scope quite a bit. Um, that is, has been huge for me with finding, feeding fish and seeing, you know, kind of how they interact with the, their environment. Um, I don't always see the fish. I just caught my biggest fish of the year the other day, which is, it was a 49 and three quarter inch muskie. And that, that fish came out of, uh, some brush. I never saw it. I mean, she just came out of nowhere and inhaled my fly or like right at the boat. So um, the, the live scope's not a be all end all, but it's kind of like a, a nice tool that I kind of, you know, helps kind of see some of their different tendencies and stuff like that and see how they kind of interact with their environment. It's, it's helped quite a bit, honestly. So are you looking for more like structure or are they on like, you know, I know when I predatory, when I was pike fishing a lot, we would get onto these grass flats this time of year. And is that the same for a muskie or some of these other other fish absolutely musky or more in the lakes the musky kind of relate to like weeds they'll do sh- straight weed lines they'll do submerged they'll they'll hide like along submerged weeds uh, weedy points are perfect for in the lakes and stuff like that um, our lake bite hasn't really uh, been that stellar this year for some reason so i kind of got off of the lakes and i've been in the moving water situations a lot more um, those fish, like I said, they, they seem to hide in the wood. Um, and what they do is when they start wanting to feed, they kind of get out of the wood and get into the kind of like the moving water to where the current's bringing their food to them. And they'll just literally sit in that current and wait for food to come to them. And then they eat anything that, you know, comes close to them, you know, which, you know, hopefully is your fly at some point. So, but yeah, that's, that's kind of the, the, what's been happening with me and what I've been seeing recently. Steve, that kind of falls into kind of what, what your area is with that little Creek bed that comes off of right. feeding into the main river. And that would make a lot of sense. Why yeah, those fish just, are hanging out in that area. They belly right there. It's, it's a big washout hole where a Creek rolls yep. right into the river and they'll just belly up and watch that Creek. And, uh, th- the theory is that, you know, you, you cast into the Creek and bring it back down. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, that's exactly what you do right there. That that moving water is constantly bringing them food. So um, I, I had a couple areas in the wintertime where it was like a big eddy and the water, like just whirlpool. Yep. And I, the fish were eating, I would see them on a the panoptics. They'd literally line up nose into the current and just wait for food to come in. And, and you know, it, it was just almost automatic with, you know, getting a fly in front of them and they were going to eat. So... Yep, that current plays a huge part in, in their uh, their daily routine, obviously. So I saw the other day that you were checking out a new spot. Well, yeah. when you go into that and and you hadn't been there or fished that place before, what, what do you do to dissect that to try and find those fish in those areas in the spot that you didn't know? So for the people that are listening, if they were to say they like Steven or whatever, we're going to go to a new spot. What do you do to try and find those fish in those areas that you've never fished before? Great question. Um, I'm always looking for structure. Wood, like I'm drawn to wood, um, but I got a kind of uh, an eye for the the type of water water that they like. And I, you know what I mean. It's something you kind of develop 
over time by fishing different moving water situations um, that you kind of eyeball. And when you see a spot, you kind of know it, so to speak. And like I was saying, like those woody areas that have like moving water next to them, those are they're magnets for those fish because when they're not feeding, they're in that wood. When they're feeding, all they literally have to do is bump right out into the current and boom, they're, they're eating. Um, so I've been catching a lot of fish in that current that's butted up next to wood piles or, you know, a lot of times there's waterways with big boulders and stuff like that. They'll like, they'll tuck right, right against the boulder or behind the boulder. It's a current break for them. And it, you know, that current's bringing fish right past them. And I, all they do is bump right out, eat them and go right back. So they're more they're not, ambush. Yeah. They're not always sitting in in the wood it seems like they're only sitting in in wood and like structure whenever they're kind of inactive and when they're active they're out in the main current of, of moving water situations and, and listen it's the same way in lakes that i've found too there's lakes where i'll be watching that panoptics i'll have a client on a boat i'll be watching all all day and then when the bite turns on you'll start seeing the fish where you didn't see them you know for six hours prior to that what that means is they're hiding during that period of inactivity. And then when they start wanting to eat, they come out and they're moving around, you know, they'll, they'll kind of prowl like the weed, weed beds and stuff like that, looking for, you know, injured fish or whatever, you know, that it just seems like that's what I've been seeing for the most part. Gotcha. So I got a question for you. You talked about them hitting you right at the boat. Yeah. Now on a fly rod, how does that pan out? Because I know, you know, when you're your standard bait caster spinner, you know, they come in and everyone does, you know, the figure eights and tries to get them to strike on that at the end. How do you work through that with a fly rod? Uh, you still have to figure eight, um, but instead of what we call a trout set where you're raising your rod tip up like the gear right. guys, you have to keep your rod tip down and you have to strip in, you know, into the fish. So if they're they eat on the turn which that's where you want them to eat they're going to eat that fly and then you want to come back against the grain on them you have to pull yeah. back so you're setting that hook in there yeah so you're setting the hook instead of pulling it away from them exactly and, and it's a tough tough deal with a fly rod and i honestly it's it's something that that's kind of like my weak spot in my whole game and it's something that i work really hard at trying to get better at but um, I miss a lot of fish or I loot, you know, you hook them for a second and, you know, they get off. So, um, it's, it's really difficult to make it happen at the boat, but when it happens at the boat, it's, it's a really cool feeling and a really cool experience to see a big fish eating, you know, a lot of times that mouth opens up and you'll see your fly go into their mouth and, you know, it's, it's just adrenaline packed. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's pretty cool. Right on. Is there some type of, like, so when you're in these, say, rivers or whatever, are you just working the edges looking for that 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 nervous water where they are kind of hanging out and you just keep on bumping around and just working those edges as you go down? Absolutely. Yep. I just keep, you know, in an ideal situation, you're in a little slower current and I don't have to work the boat as much. You can kind of just drift with the current and I'll drift down just pounding, you know, everything that I see. And then if I like, like what i'm seeing i'll just run back up and roll you know just drift back down i'll literally pound you know a mile of water 
five, six, seven times in a day, just waiting for them to turn on. And, you know, there's, there's times where you don't get a fish to eat and five or six hours later, a fish eats right where you, you know, you cast it in there, you know, Mm -hmm. that's the beauty of it. They kind of, uh, you got to kind of have that mental fortitude to being able to wait them out. And, you know, a lot of people would hit that a couple of times and "Ah, screw it. There's no fish there, you know? Um, I've just caught enough of them to know that, you know, if you keep putting your flies in there, eventually if they're there, they're going to eat at some point during the day. So, and it, and it doesn't always happen, but you know, you're playing percentages with them, you know, and you just have to keep, keep putting your cast out and putting your time in and they'll, they'll eat eventually. Gotcha. So one question I did want to pick on is, uh, you know, you see a lot of people go after, uh, both musky pike things fish of those nature with either still leader or real heavy braided line you know f- just so they don't get bit through what kind of tippet are you using to um, kind of fill between that yeah my my leader i make my own leaders and i use um i think right now i got 60 pound i'll use as my main leader and then i at the end of that leader i tie a loop onto that leader and then i have wire attached to my fly i don't know if you guys do gotcha um, yeah so you have, are using wire is it like oh, tieable wire it's nautable wire yeah okay. this is this is 60 pound nautable wire um i forget the brand that i that i use but i know it's probably pretty hard to see but um i'll do a loop on the end of that and then i just loop the loop it and then you know the the i have a loop attached to my fly gotcha so I, don't like using um swivels and stuff like that it just adds some you know a lot of stuff up in front of my fly that i personally don't like um a lot of guys use swivels like snap quick snap swivels and stuff and they have luck on them i just don't personally like that um so this is kind of the system that i roll with um there's companies out there now it's the beauty of the sport growing is there's you know, some companies out there that sell, you know, pre-made leaders for people just getting into the sport. You don't even need to worry about making your own leader. They come, you know, you can get them with the wire attached to them already. And I think they're like seven or eight bucks. So um, that's a really nice feature for people that are just getting into the sport. Nice. So building on that, most people, when you think fly rod, you know, you're, you're thinking dry fly with very lightweight and you have to have that perfect cast to really get that out there. What's the difference running that heavy tackle? You know, how, how does the cast work? Is it, you still got to fight it. You still got to have that smooth rhythm. You know, does it come easier? Well, there's, there's different casts. I, I kind of done, I kind of created my own cast where I flop it away from me. I'll do like a flop just to start generating a little energy in my cast. I'll flop it away from me and then I pull it straight into one big back cast and then shoot it out. I I try to limit how many times because of my shoulder, I kind of had to adapt my casting. And and this seems to be the best and I cast pretty far that way. Um, There's other methods. There's water, water loading, casting and stuff like that, that I, that guys utilize all the time. Um, I found with my 12 weight rod, I can chuck these flies like really easily without, you know, beating my body up. And as long as I keep my cast down and just, you know, cause there's a lot of people that I take out for the first time and they want to do exactly what you're saying, like a du- straight double haul, right. You know, 
they'll false cast like three three times on on every cast and you can only maintain that for so long before your body's literally fit falling apart you know by <laughs> right. a few hours a day so i mean I, I i try to tell everyone and teach them you know to kind of keep that limited and they will do it for a certain amount of time and then they kind of revert back to double hauling so it is what it is the more you do this to do it you know the easier it gets and you kind of get in the feeling your way around the casting and you kind of you know adapt to it so yeah, it's that, a learning that's like anything that, it definitely makes more sense to me i mean that the way you're doing it in my mind plays out like a kind of a standard cast only you're not using a reel you know you're using that weight and just launching it exactly yeah so, so it's more of like a hybrid roll cast kind of thing well it's i'm not roll casting in the sense i'm just i'm just doing one big haul you know that when i flop it out i'm like kind of flopping it to get it away from me to kind of you start you create it. that distance so that when you make that haul you can strip yeah. that line and then let the weight yeah. of the rod do it yeah i'm booming those casts so it it's you know it works really well now um i was fishing last week and i i caught a fish and it torqued my shoulder up again like pretty bad like the process of catching it and stuff i just did something during that period that kind of jerked me up so i, I kind of now i'm kind of keeping my rod low and kind of just not getting my arm away from my body when i cast i'm kind of keeping it tight and it seems to work well too so that's something that i'm going to be doing probably a lot more of uh coming up here in the next few weeks so See, that, careful that, that was always my problem is i always went full arm and looked like a flailing idiot and had to well, learn to keep my elbow in yeah, you know, and exactly. your cast is naturally better that way when you remember to do it. But again, that goes to another point. Who says fishing isn't dangerous? <laughs> oh, it is. It's. I got the shoulder and the elbow to to testify to that. <laughs> I probably need four surgeries from fishing alone. <laughs> well, three years ago, I, I had surgery scheduled and I went in for my pre-op appointment and I, and the doctor was insistent it was going to take five months for recovery, you yep. know, with therapy. And I was like, I'll be back in three months. He's like, if, he goes, I'm not even going to operate on you if you think that you're going to be back. Cause I, I can't miss five months of work. I mean, <laughs> you know I mean? Yep. that's, that's going in. That was going into the fall of my steelhead season where I'm literally working every day for six months. And so I ended up putting the surgery off and I never went back and here I am. <laughs> well, you're going to have to take that season off before you know it <laughs> to get it fixed. If it gets any worse, it's going to happen. I, I have a feeling. So that's crazy. I, I want to take through. So if somebody is to hire you as a guide service, right. And they're going to take you out. What does a day look like for you during, you know, having a client on the boat? Okay, for my musky trips? Yeah, for like a musky trip. Yeah. Yep. For the musky trips, I like to start everyone like at daybreak. I like to get on, you know, get on the water and start fishing, you know, at daybreak. Um, I schedule most of my, my musky trips around either a new moon or a full moon. Like that week is, you know, theoretically your best time. Now, I catch them outside of those moon phases too, but those moon phases are when we usually catch the most fish and it's your, your highest percentage of catching a fish. So I try to schedule, you know, all my clients around those moon phases. So we start at daybreak and, um, I tell everyone you, you can, you know, 
I don't have a time limit on my musky trips. You literally fish until you're done or it gets dark. Um, my steelhead and trout and everything, those are eight hour trips, you know, like everyone else. But the musky, you know, I want people to catch a musky so bad that, you know, we're going to be on the water for as long as they can cast. And, and usually people will make it, you know, nine hours or so, and then they start petering out physically. So that seems to be kind of the time frame for most people. I've had other guys that stuck it out longer, but, you know, it, the reality is it's hard. I mean, it's a hard fish to fish for. It's a hard fly to cast. It's a hard day of fishing. So, you know, I don't put 12 hour days in anymore. You know, when I go out, I'm selective on my days. And so I, I understand someone that never did it before going out and only being able to fish six or eight hours, you know, there's no shame in that, but you know, I kind of let people fish for as long as they can on the musky trips, just because it's hard enough to catch them, you know, in a long period, uh, you know, I couldn't imagine only fishing for eight hours, you know, making it mandatory eight hours. So I, I want to go back on the moon thing, because I think in all fishing moons can be very important. I know for us taught title with, with the moving, the fast moving water is a huge thing for us with the gravitational pull and, and moving that bait across those areas very fast. Like the stripers, we, you know, us striper fishing, they're very, they're, and ambushing fish. So we use the moons in that aspect. What is kind of the purpose to the moons in the musky world? It's my theory is they have a big lateral line. So they're feeling that, that, um, pressure they're feeling, you know, that's why I'm moving in, you know, they feel that pressure change, you know, the moon and the gravity and stuff like that. I think they feel it more than other fish and, there's there's literally something to it because i've had like it's it's just crazy on those those days you know where you'll get a major period during that day like it'll be kind of slow fishing until that major minor hits and then boom 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 you know so there's mm -hmm. there's to it you know there's something physically to it that triggers them to eat during those periods so um, that's why i schedule my trips around those periods you know and, and just because you're kind of adding you know, a little bit of percentage in your corner where, you know, they're, they're a tough fish to catch. So why not, you know, throw the moon in there, you know, what makes it even better if you moon and then you got a front pushing in and you got the double whammy. So, you know, no. Speaking of the moons, you had caught a muskie the other night and that blew my mind, honestly, because I never thought that catching them at night, especially on a fly rod of all things like that, what even made you go and try and do like i've never even heard of it like targeting a muskie at night like that's just mind-blowing to me I, honestly i've heard people troll for them at night but you know i in my mind fly fishing at night in itself is chaos it just sounds <laughs> like chaos to me so put the <laughs> it, two together yeah it's it, what got me into doing it is that I, and i've wanted to do it for a few years i just haven't i've it's hard to be like as busy as I am and then getting up in the middle of the night and going out musky fishing, you right. know what I mean? So I, I recently just had the time to, to really try to do it. And, you know, I had the proper waterway to do it. And I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try to see what happens here. And, you know, I had a, a couple good moons that I went out. Um, and it, it's a cool experience, man. They freaking crush those flies at night. I mean, I don't know if you saw the picture of the, fly in their mouth 
they totally inhale it. You know, they're they're out for keeps in the nighttime. So, um, but it, it was a great experience, and you know, the the being in the pitch black and you know hearing stuff in the woods and never knowing if Sasquatch is out. It all adds. <laughs> It all adds to the ambience of, of the night, you know. So I was fortunate to be able to catch a couple of good fish doing it. So it might be something that I do more of. What was like the the setup to it? Was it was it on a moon night? Was it you know? Are you fishing the same type of areas and doing the same type of thing, or yeah. and it's just night out? And that's exactly right. I'm doing the 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 one that you're talking about. I believe that fish. I missed that fish the prior week. And the, the next week was a good moon. So I'm like, I'm going to just change it up. I'm going to go in at night and try to catch this fish. I knew where it was hanging out and it was kind of risky where I was at. Cause it was, there's a lot of wood around and stuff, but I just was two hand in my, my fly, keeping my fly up and sure as crap, that fish hit like right in the same spot that it was, <laughs> that it was at. So yeah, I'm just fishing the same waterways. I got to kind of a good idea where all the structure is and how I need to fish to keep my fly out of it, out of the structure. So, um, it's paint, it's worked out, honestly. Nice. So you, you keep going back to those same spots and being able to, when you see those fish, they, they're like a territorial, when they have their one home, that's their home. And that's really kind of where they hang out and you can get multiple strikes on them. Usually the, the big fish that I just caught, um, the other day, she was, I don't know, maybe 50 yards away where, from where I moved her a couple of days prior. So they're not necessarily always in the same spot, but, you know, I had an inkling that the one, I, the first one I caught at night was in, was in his area or her area. Um, just because it was a prime spot in the middle of the channel, there was brush there. So I knew it was hanging out in that brush. And then whenever it wants to feed, it moved out to the front of the brush. And that's exactly where the fish was when it ate at night. So, um, I, I don't know. It's just feel a lot of times and, and kind of figuring the fish out and their tendencies. And, you know, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, you know, it's just a guess or check. It is, but you don't know if you don't go and try stuff. So yeah. I'm, I'm willing to try different stuff and go out and experiment and, and try different things. So. Gotcha. So one other thing that always comes up anytime we bring up muskie with anybody is landing it. How do you properly land a muskie without getting your hand chomped on? <laughs> well, land, getting it in the net um, sometimes can be a pain in the butt. Um, and it's hard when you're by yourself, you know, because you're, you know, my, I'm usually, well, I'm always lifting up with my right arm and my shoulder you know, the pain in my shoulder, every time I lift up, it kind of, it's weaker and trying to get them into a big net. It's, it's hard in itself, but, um, you got to be careful handling them once you get them into the net, because, you know, you want to reach into their gill plate without touching their gills and, and just slide your fingers up to the front of their, their jaw. And they're, you know, you can grab them that way and lift them up and then hold them. Um, but if they, I've had them, uh, in waiting situations where I've, I've done that and they've gator rolled on me and I, I got clipped on my, my finger, uh, last year, I had to get seven stitches. Oh, you know, it's, it's, it, I mean, it can be treacherous if you're not doing things right. So yeah, it, they're, they got a lot of teeth in it. So. Oh yeah. How Man, does that work sharp. with, how does that work with clients? Like, do you have a tough time? Like, like when we catch bluefish. I try not to even let customers even grab them because they are, I mean, 
they got jaws of pit bulls and they got teeth like them too. So it's yeah, they are nasty. Those blues, man. I've seen the damage that they do to bait fish. Holy crap! I got bit last week. It was yeah. miserable. Oh, it was miserable. <laughs> I wasn't paying attention. It was my own fault. I was trying to get the hook out, and my hand just slipped right in his mouth, and he went whack. And then, yeah. and then that's all it took. Whack. And it, dude, all the way around my finger, through my nail. It was miserable. It was miserable. And the thing with though with the bluefish is that they have a like a a non-coagulating bacteria so they don't actually so you you're when you get caught by them they don't coagulate so it's they just bleed yeah <laughs> it takes forever to get it to stop not bleed duct I never, tape i never knew that they had that mm-hmm. yeah it's miserable i don't that's what i've been told is that they have that and i i mean i can attest to it but other people say because their teeth are so sharp but i mean yeah Dude, it just does not stop bleeding. Literally, some people have to go to the hospital because of it. That's absurd. I, I've been fortunate with my clients. All the fish that they've caught, they've had fish that um, they ha- didn't have a hard time handling. Mm-hmm. Seems like for some reason, I'm always getting the ones that are pissed off and hard to handle, and they want to gay roll on you and stuff like that. But yeah, I've been lucky with clients, so I, I always have a an emergency kit in my boat for you know, situations like that. So, um, you try not to get people hurt, but you know, it's, it's bound to happen. You do it enough times, you're going to get nipped. So, right. It's not about if it's about when. Absolutely. That's what yeah. We say on the water, no matter what. <laughs> I mean, the, n- nobody has come up with like shark bite gloves for catching them. <laughs> they do. I mean, they do. They make a, a bite-proof glove. I don't. I don't know that I'm going to go that and I put trust my hands. In, yeah, I don't mess around with that. Lindy came out with one like maybe like four years ago. They came out with a bite-proof glove, and I was walleye fishing a ton at the time, and I I wasn't trying to put my hand in its yeah, mouth to I'm find not out trying to see to if test it, it is. No, that's not hundred really percent. I want to dive kind of into your boat and kind of your boat setup, like what you use. Um, and, and what kind of makes it ideal for what you're doing. So if, so yeah, I, I got a uh, hog Island skiff. You guys familiar with them? Yes. No, no. It, it, kind of like a drift boat. What's that? I, like a drift boat. Well, mine's the, the, the skiff model. They do make a drift boat, but I have a, an actual skiff. I got a jet uh, motor on the back. Okay. I got a truck front. Um, I got a nice, front deck to it and then the back i have a bench seat that you can stand on so i can take two people out and one person throws out one side and the other person throws out the other side and i'll be like in the middle of those those two and you know casting out each side of the boat keeps people from casting over top of my head so (laughs) (laughs) smart area to be doing but uh yeah i mean i ideally it, one person is like perfect but you know i've taken lots of two people out p- two people trips and it works out fine as long as people cast properly so and that so th- can you go into really shallow water with that oh, yep that thing gets through like inches of water um it, yeah. it just straight up through that stuff pretty easily and it's uh you know it's responsible for a lot of big fish that i caught and i I, that i would have never caught without it um that's the reality of the situation you know you you got to get through skinny water a lot of times to get to those areas that people don't hit a lot you know yep a lot of these waterways you know you'll be able to get through certain areas and a regular prop motor but 
you know, you're limited on where you can go. So I like getting to those tough to reach areas, you know, those brushy areas that I was telling you about, you know, log infested waters, you know, I zip through that stuff without any problems. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have a lot of them on the river here. It's actually what I started smallmouth fishing when I first moved here. A uh, buddy of mine had one and he, he's like, this is a good spot. And I'm like, okay. He goes, but we got to go up to a better spot. <laughs> and he pulls up to this this ledge and i'm like well i guess we're fishing here he goes no we're not <laughs> zips right up over it i was like this is amazing i mean they'll get you into places that i mean kayakers can't get into exactly that's what i love about it so it's it's worth its weight in gold honestly so do you find during like the spawning time because like when you think of i think skinny water i think during the spawning time when they i know with at least the pike they get into these small creeks and get up as far as they possibly can out of, you know, the main river or whatever. And is that those areas that oh, you're trying to get up into? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm always into those smaller tributaries if I can, you know. I mean, the reality is, is some of them you can't get up into, but so you got to find other areas that they might hold up in, in the springtime. Um, but, yeah, those, those are perfect uh you know, wintering and spring spots as those feeder streams and i just uh, caught a fish uh last week in a little feeder stream that i never fished before and i was just scouting it out and i i got literally 50 yards into this feeder and i missed this it was a small one i missed a small one and i caught a nice one so um those feeders are are definitely places to check out you know for anyone looking to, to try to find muskie now now is there like you know bycatch so like you get pike too in the mix when you're trying to do this try and catch your target musky fish and stuff like that too yep there's musky sometimes or the pike are a pain in the butt sometimes when you catch them because you're you know you could be fishing for hours and boom you get your bite and then here it's a pike you know and you know there's just not as much pizzazz with a pike versus i mean not the pike in pennsylvania they they just don't get big you know Mm -hmm. like get one in the low thirties and that's a halfway decent pike for PA. Um, but you know, they're just not what we're after, you know, they're, they're a dime a dozen, so to speak. And, you know, I have waterways that have a lot of pike. You could go catch a bunch if you wanted to do that, but you know, we're after musky. So, you know, the, the pike will come, you know, occasionally we'll catch smallies on musky flies um usually if you catch smallies with the musky flies are usually a big smallie but you don't get the fight out of them on a 12 weight as you would with a seven or i I was gonna say that's you know that's landing (laughs) small fish on heavy tackle exactly it's it's unfortunate because some of the smallies that we've caught were like really big but you just don't get any fight out of them trying to think what else bycatch wise um i've caught suckers on on musky flies before really <laughs> imagine and, and the ironic thing is is the times that i've caught suckers red horse suckers they were on a red horse sucker fly so i don't know what <laughs> spawning <laughs> trying to spawn with it or something <laughs> that's wild the thing is they were legit eats too the 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 fish ate the fly the hook was in their mouth it wasn't like you snagged it in the back or something you know that, that's nice so some I, Sometimes we caught we catch both in not a lot, but we've caught both in, and I think that's pretty much it. Large mouth occasionally, but and when they are, they're big large mouth. Obviously, they take down a nine inch fly. That's no or twelve yeah. inch fly, whatever you're throwing. Six and a half pound large mouth. I caught on a fifth one of these big flies. Um, I caught <laughs> a half pound large mouth. 
now with that fly, is that a tandem hook on the fly? Yeah, it's a double hook. I know I know you guys probably can't see a lot of this, but yeah, there's okay. two, yep. an articulated, there's two hooks. And then on the on the end is uh, a little a trailer. Clip, and you can take these these uh tails off. I don't know, I can't see too well, but see how that tail came off? You can oh, change yeah. A lot of a lot of times, like if I like a fly during the day, that color of fly, I'll just change the. If I'm not getting any action, I'll just change the tail color. You know, this particular fly here is like a perchy looking fly. Mm-hmm. Use gold tail a lot. I'll use orange. I'll use white, um, and that's pretty much it um, during the day. Now at night, when I'm throwing flies, I'm using dark. You know, usually all black. Right. Um, but this fly here, I caught. I think two or three at night on on this fly it's black with orange and then i have a black tail on it so who makes that fly uh this is these ones here are nightmare musky flies and they're up in wisconsin um these these flies here i get from streamer streamer king flies in pennsylvania he he does a lot of these uh these are articulated um t-bones they call them like a changer t-bone and we had clients catch a lot of fish on these this this past spring so it's a little smaller a little easier to cast fly so that's why i have my clients throw a nose a lot of times and what size hook do they normally come with uh, they're six and five six okay. on yep and they, they seem to work out perfect i mean when you pin them you pin them pretty well with these hooks so that's so cool. It's just so different to, to what you're used to. Even saltwater fly fishing is not not yeah. that extreme. Like they, I mean, you'll do some, you know, you know, not, not that. I mean, they'll definitely throw some bigger ones, some eights and nine inch flies, you know, but they're not, they're not anything like that. Like that's insane. Like that is something from a whole different world when it comes to fly fishing. Well, just to give you an idea, I last spring I had a guy fishing on a lake, and we just started fishing. I looked down, and this fish was probably thirty inches musky, and it swam past us, and it had probably a twenty-four inch sucker in his mouth, cool. and it had it had it t-boned, and it just was swimming with it like a dog that had a bone in his mouth. Wow. So they eat, eat big forage, so I mean, in reality, these flies aren't that big, no. you know compared to some of the stuff that they're eating, you know, and these flies look big, but you get them in the water and they stream that, you know, get them wet and they stream down and they're like actually a skinnier profile. So, um, they eat these pretty easily, but, um, back to the salt water, I went, uh, shark fishing last year, fly fishing for shark. I mean, those flies were literally this big that I was using. I'm catching, you know, four foot sharks on them. What were they like shrimp pattern or something? Um, they're, they're just like a, honestly, they're, they're very similar to little smallmouth flies that I use up here. They're just some deer hair and like a leech, like a leech looking thing. <laughs> and that's what them sharks were eating. Lemon sharks. That's it's crazy. Incredible. Well, I guess like we always say, I mean, elephants eat peanuts. So that's exactly right. <laughs> we say that all the time in the fishing world. Like doesn't, it doesn't have to be the biggest thing. Cause there were, some people would say big bait yeah, equals big, big fish, bait, big fish. But I mean, with a pike and a muskie, I get it because they're very predatorial. They're very aggressive fish. They'll take down just about anything. They'll just kill things to kill things. I mean, I that's why I, I strongly believe that they're just they're just nasty little critters. 
the thing is, is pike are way more aggressive than muskie. Pike, when they eat, they suck their their prey into their mouth. They'll come in behind it and literally suck. And I've had 20-some-inch pike totally make this fly disappear into their mouth, like literally coming out their gills. That's how far they eat these flies. You know, muskie tend to T-bone a fly. Like, they grab their – they come in and grab them from the side, and they squeeze onto them like that. So that's where a lot of the times where you miss them, if you don't strip into them good, that they're only like literally holding that fly like that, you know? So those hooks literally aren't into their mouth yet, you know? So you got to keep stripping, stripping, stripping to get them to kind of release a little bit before that hook will set into their mouth. So pike, I don't know what it is with pike. They just, they're just so aggressive and they eat so well. I just, a lot of times I wish the muskie ate as well as they do. <laughs> Yeah, but it now, wouldn't be as fun if that was the case. And get ready to say, then it would it would be easier, and then everybody would be doing it right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, do the tiger muskie eat more like a pike, or do they eat it like a, a regular muskie? You know what? I've I've never caught a tiger. Um, all the tigers I've ever I don't fish a lot of waterways where there are tigers, but um, the times that I've ever hooked them, I've lost every single one of them for some. But um, so I can't. You know, I, I think they do hit a little bit more um, acts. They're a little bit more aggressive, but I can't, you know, until I catch some, I can't really be, you know. <laughs> That's like my unicorn also, because I've done the same exact thing. I've lost two of them and not landed a single one of them. And my buddies next to me caught like a 26 pounder. And they're like, dude, are you serious? Like, come on. You know, and they're always catching them. I've done two trips trying to kill one. I'm not you know, catch one. And I just never caught one. It's like my little unicorn, honestly. That's so irritating. I, you know, if I catch one, I want it to be a big one though. There's a lot of places around here that have little ones. And, you know, I just want to, I'd like to catch a big one, but you know, but yeah, they're gorgeous, gorgeous fish. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. That's like the Lake St. Clair ones with the spots on them. You guys ever see those? The muskie with spots. They're Mm -hmm. beautiful. Well, up Thousand Islands, they have them up there, real pretty spots. My son was just up there smallmouth fishing a few weeks ago, and he found a dead muskie that he measured. It was, 50, I think, 55 inches. Ooh. It was dead, but it was absolutely stunning-looking fish, just beautiful spots all over it. And so That's like some, a Great Lakes fish. Yeah, someone big like that. handled it after catching it, and you know, and it died. So and that, that's another big point that I think we should touch on because muskie are real sensitive fish. So you, you get him netted, you get him in, you get the hook out, you know, what's, what's the typical procedure to release them back safely? Well, it, you got to do it as quick as possible. Um, get, you know, net them, boom, you're, you're already getting the camera set up pulling them out, getting a quick shot and back into the water as fast as you can. Um, I, water, water, uh, temperature wise. Um, I don't fish any waters that are over like 74 degrees is like kind of my, my cutoff for right. them. Um, the water that I'm in recently that I'm having a lot of luck in is the water is literally 68, 69 degrees. So I'm, I'm like in perfect water for some reason. Yeah, I, I don't know. That kills us out here on the Shenandoah because, I mean, our water temperature is 84, 85 degrees right now. You yeah, don't even you, go after them until late fall. 
you know, that Absolutely. water's got to get down because you pull one out right now, you're going to kill it. Absolutely. And I, and I, I was, I just did a podcast a, a month or so ago with some guys and they're all musky guys. And we were talking about the same thing and, you know, some fish are more, you know, I, I almost think that like the individual fish have their own temperament when it comes to being able to handle a stressful catch and release. You know, I've, I've caught fish that literally I, it was a, a minute process that, that started stressing, you know, over nothing. And, and the water was 45 degrees, you know, wow. I have had other ones that, you know, you're trying to get a hook out of them. You know, it might be down in there and you're trying to fiddle, trying to get it cut out or, or pulled out. And it's a several minute ordeal in the net and they don't ever stress, you know, show any signs of stress. So, you know, I think it, it really depends on the fish. You know, you might get the, the wrong fish on the wrong day and it, it, you know, you could kill it, you know, it's just, it's just the nature of the beast. So you don't want that to happen. So you want a, a quick, clean catch and release it, it, it all possible. Nice. I think that makes a very valid point because there's a lot of arguments about that with all game fish. When guys are like, you know, they, you're going to stress out the fish. You're going to kill the fish. They're, it is what it, I mean, it's, it's the nature of the beast a and b like you said every fish is so different i mean it's how long was the fight how how erratic was the fish in the middle of the fight you know like i know we have a ton of that with game fish when we mess with them and guys give us trouble you know catching a 50 pound bass and they're like oh you're dragging it behind the boat when you're trolling well yeah i mean but we're also getting the the that's a whole different ball game because yeah. you're you're trolling and the water's coming over their gills. You're actually oxygenating that fish and that fish is actually getting life back to it. So a lot of guys give us trouble and it's, it's gotta be the same thing where you get a lot of negativity about the muskie and, and handling them. Yeah. It, you know, the fly fishing community and these guys that I did the podcast with brought this up that there's grumblings that, you know, fly fishermen overstress their fish and stuff like that. Like I, I land my fish as quick as any gear do to land or fish with my flies. Like they don't, you know, unless you catch a really big one, they don't fight overly hard. It's, you know, you, you have them in net in 15 seconds or so, you know, now, now the, the big girls, they, they fight a lot harder. You know, you, the closer you get to 50 inch, the less, you know, the harder it is to get them in and the less they want to get put in the net. So that's a little bit different story, but you know, I just think that if you fish in water temperatures that are cool enough, you know, that, you know, you shouldn't have too many issues with hurting a fish. Is that mind. with it with trout? You hear guys talking about trout and certain, certain temperatures. You don't oh, want to yeah. those fish in those. Abs yeah. Trout, you know, they, they stress out real easy too. And, and too warm a temperatures, um, you know, 60, you know, low to mid sixties is like the max on those guys on the trout that you want to be fishing. So, um, yeah, I just think you got to be smart and just fish cooler water temperatures and then you shouldn't have any problem, you know, as long as you get them in and out quick, revive them and get them moving. So, gotcha. So I do got a curiosity as you were talking a little bit ago, you talked about, uh, you know, a deep swallowed hook and retrieving that or cutting it. You know, a lot of people have problem with that with, you know, even bass. But now you throw teeth into the mix. What's your usual, like, you know, you got a deep swallow. Is it easier to just, you know, get down there, cut the line? Or do you get down, try to split the hook? Or do you try to retrieve it? 
Well, you don't, if it's in their gills, gills, you don't ever want to try to mess with them. You just try to cut, you know, cut the hook and just, you know, get rid of the fish, you know, get it back into the water and let it, you know, cause you start fiddling with those gills and it's, it's, you're going to kill the fish regardless if you get the hook out or not. So the best practice is to cut that, that hook out. I've been fortunate. I've never had to really cut. I've only had to cut one. It was for a client. I had to cut one fly out of its gill and, um, I just cut the hook. I didn't even worry about the fly and I got it back into the water and, you know, you hope they, they make it, but you know, it, it's just part of the game. You know, you're, you're, you do it enough times. You're going to probably kill fish that you right. can't, and you know, but I don't try ever monkeying around with their gills. I mean, if it's down in their throat, you know, it, it makes it easy to use the jaw spreader, hold your jaw open and get down and cut the hook off and then let, you know, get the majority of your fly out and then just let them deal with the, the hook that's in their, in their throat. So, yeah. And I guess that's probably a good thing with a with a muskie because you're you're stripping the line, it's moving, and like you said, he t-bones it. So you're not really getting too many aggressive hits from from the back or from the head or anything like that. Like you're you're not getting that swallowing hook like it would be with some other fish. Exactly right. I don't hardly ever have to deal with that type of stuff. That you know, the one that my client he. We had a smaller fly on and that fish was hungry and it just inhaled it, you know, it's, it just happens, but you know, I, I don't get it often to where I have to, mm -hmm. monk. I've, I've, I have a buddy that I gear, that he gear fishes all the time and we've had to cut hooks out of his fish, you know, more than I've ever had to do out of my flies. I hardly ever get to deal with that. So. Gotcha. And I know with like, like stripers and stuff, they hit it from the head and they try and they suck the whole thing down. And if yeah. you're using something that has a front treble, we try and not use it because literally, like even top waters, I mean, dude, they'll smoke that thing from the top and literally they'll take it from the front and it's down there. Like it's down, down, like, and that happens because there's such an aggressive eating fish from the front and it's, yeah. that becomes a problem. You guys eat, eat their stripers? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, oh, and they're absolutely phenomenal eating. <laughs> It's a very simple, mild fish. So like you can do so much with it. I think like you can, we have a ton of different ways that we eat it. Like we, you know, we do skin on sear it with like, um, uh, you can do like a mango salsa and do it that way. You can do fish cakes. I mean, you can do anything with it because it's such a simple, mild fish and can be used different ways. I think that's one of the problems with striped bass because if muskies were like very good eating there would be a whole different world where people were ki killing them and keeping them and oh, they yeah. have to deal with that aspect of it with stripers we get that because a are they really good trophy fish but they're also really good eating so like it you're kind of tossed in in between you know like i don't know it's kind of a crazy world that we live in when it comes to that because people kind of shun on you and like we've we're at the point where we can't it's 28 to 35. So we have a small slot. So this is like our medium fish. You can't kill the big ones. Can't kill. I think it's a perfect, perfect yeah. uh, slot where you can where edible fish are. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with eating fish. I mean, that's what they're there for. Yeah. Right. I bet that's how it is with your, with your steelheads and stuff like that. Like a lot of guys keep them and, and eat them because well, they're, they're such good eating fish. My, my clients for the most part, the majority of them don't keep them. 
Um, but I, I get a handful of people every season that want to keep them and that's their right. And I don't begrudge them. My only role with those people is they have to carry them around all day. <laughs> <laughs> right. Absolutely. Inch fish around all day with a rope. You know? are, now, are you doing your steelhead and stuff from the shore? Yeah. Yep. It's all stream fishing, um, in the tributaries of Lake Erie. Um, I've a guide in Ohio, Pennsylvania and New York. So. Oh, that's crazy. So guys would just get a hold of you if you wanted to fish those areas. Oh yeah. Yep. Yep. I'll be, I mean, I'm already, I got a lot of people on my schedule already and probably by the end of summer, I'll be totally booked through December probably. Wow. Go ahead and, and trout and musky. I like I'm blocking out weeks for my musky trips right now where I went well, I only do musky trips because you know, there's, a good full moon or new moon week. So I already, I, I think I got three weeks of the uh, musky trips already booked. Paul, so. awesome. And you're only doing, um, your steelhead trips. Are they, are they on the fly also? Yep. Everything's on the fly. No center pin. Nope. All nope. fly rod. Yep. I get people. Yeah. I get people occasionally, Hey, do you mind if I spin fish? And I'm like, because their, you know, their worry is they never fly fish before. But part of the reason that I started my guide service was to teach people that fly fishing isn't that difficult if you, you know, you know the, know how to do it. You know, so and it's not a doesn't have to be a complicated sport. It's actually pretty simple. You know, and I, I make people deals, and I've done this several times over the years where I say you can bring your spin gear, but I want you to try to fly fish first. And if you don't like the fly fishing, then you can go to your spin gear. And I've never had one person that tried fly fishing that ever wanted to use their spinning gear after that. So once they start doing it, and they enjoy it so much that you know they're hooked on it. So. Yep. Is, is your is your fly fishing gear that you're using like are you, I know like so like a Swago or up that way like northern New York they use like uh, you use a bunch of drops I mean uh, split shots on the line like are you fishing that same technique or is it you fishing a different technique with the fly no, around? doing a different that's a dr- probably a drop shot deal that they're using I I just use a simple drifting setup and I wait I'll use an egg I mean this is a lot of what I use for my clients, it's, I, I use, I have different weighted eggs that I tie up with different weight heads on them. And depending on the water speed and, and depth and stuff like that, I'll, I'll get the proper egg size that I want. And then I tie like a white death, which is just a tiny little streamer off of the back of that egg. And then that egg's bouncing on the bottom and that little streamer's tailing behind it. And they, the fish usually will eat that little streamer telling behind it, but they'll eat the egg too. Um, and that's about, and we'll use an indicator up above, like a little bobber. And um, it's just a simple, simple setup. And it makes it real easy for people that never done it before. You know, it, it lets them be successful in, in doing it. And everybody has a blast doing it. And um, so that's what we do. Now, if I get people that are a little more, you know, polished up on fly fishing, you know, I got guys that like to throw streamers and they'll, they'll use streamers and stuff like that for them. And, you know, the steelhead are, you know, when the water temps are good, they're usually pretty bitey on, on streamers. Um, they work real well. Um, yeah. So that's basically the two, two different setups that we use. That's awesome. 
I think I like the versatility of the two different worlds that you get to live in, man. Yeah, (laughs) it's honestly a pretty cool deal because, like, being on our tributaries gets a little stressful with the crowds. And I work real hard to get my clients on good areas, you know, before daybreak. And, you know, that, that starts the day off proper is getting them on fish early, you know, before the crowds get out. So, um, dealing with that for a week straight every day and dealing with other people and, you know, people trying to crowd you out and stuff like that. It's nice to have a week where I get on my boat and we're out there chucking big streamers for muskie. It's a whole different vibe. You know, there's nobody else out there. You know, you're after the apex predator fish in North America. And, you know, so it is nice and, and it's nice to switch it up. So. So you go from stressful to really stressful. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> no, the, the fishing and the guiding for the muskie isn't stressful at all. It's it's actually really exciting doing the muskie because you never know what what cast is going to be the cast, you know what I mean, that a fish mm-hmm. is going to It's like it's suspense the whole time, like all day. It's like suspense, and then when it happens – you know, it's like adrenaline overload and there's like a massive rush of adrenaline for 30 seconds. You get the fish in a net and then you're like hugging your client and, you know, but then it's decompression after that. So it's, it's actually not stressful at all. That's awesome, man. Well, I guess with that, I want to know what drives you outdoors, Scott? What drives me outdoors? Not your boat, not your car, not your feet. <laughs> What drives me to like literally Yeah, what drive- gets you no, what gets you out there, man? Like you just said, like hugging your client and doing that, like what what makes you want to go and guide every single day and be in the outdoors and musky fish and well because I like I mean, number one for me it's it's like with the musky, it's I know the feeling of catching a musky on a fly and I want to share that feeling with as many people as I can. Like it's literally like winning the Super Bowl when you make it happen. Like it's not an easy feat. So when you can accomplish that with somebody that's never done it, you know, it's, it's huge. So that's what drives me outdoors and what drives me to being a better fly angler myself and gets me up in the middle of the night going out, trying to learn these fish, you know, their tendencies as much as I can. And because in turn, me doing all that's going to help me be a better guide and, helping other people accomplish that goal. You know, that's what it boils down to. I'm, I, I told these guys a month ago that I'm literally trying to build a culture around, you know, this muskie on the fly fishing, because it's not a big group of people that do it. You know, I'm, I'm trying to build this sport and getting more people involved in to do it and trying it and experiencing it. And, you know, it's only going to help the fish in the long run because the more money, going into the sport the more you know it's going to hopefully help the fish in general help habitat and stuff like that so um that's what drives me outdoors outstanding that, that's, yeah what more can you ask for i mean giving someone that first is always always just the greatest feeling in the world i mean i'll take that first that's a good first yeah well listen guy this spring never touched a fly rod not for trout not for bluegill not for bass never touched one in his life and he contacted me about a muskie on a fly trip and you know i'm pretty optimistic but in the back of my head i'm like if he can even cast these flies it'll be a success that dude freaking caught landed three muskie and he had 
lost two other ones. Five, <laughs> never touching a fly rod period in his life. So right there, that should tell people that are listening that you don't have to be, you know, fly fisherman to at least try it. And, you know, you never know. You could be successful, you know. Yeah, that that's a fulfilling day right there. Yeah. <laughs> you can't ask for a better day than that. I mean, going into it, catching one would be a bonus. Or seeing one come after your fly to me a lot of times with someone that's never done it before is a success. You know, hey, you moved the fish. That's incredible. You're doing something right that you made that fish come after your fly, you know. Um, but to catch three, yeah, that, that was awesome. So That's impressive. That really uh, but, is, honestly. Well, Scott, where can everybody find you? How can they get a hold of you? And uh, now that everybody is dug in and wants to go do this, how do they book? <laughs> uh, well, I have a website, keystoneanglers.com, www.keystoneanglersguideservice.com. Um, I'm on Facebook under the same name, Instagram under the same name. Um, I started doing the TikTok thing. That TikTok thing's pretty. <laughs> it's pretty hard to figure out the the algorithms with trying to get your, your videos out there. You know, like uh, get them out there visible. But I'm on TikTok too, and my my name on there is G Money Fifty Three Eighty One. That's my Instagram personal Instagram name. So. Any of those avenues are, are ways to get in contact with me, and we can discuss trip options through that. Outstanding. Well, I think we're going to have to stay in touch because uh, I'm going to be picking your brain before this fall comes around for sure. Absolutely. That's what I'm here for. Don't hesitate. Um, that's I, I love helping people out. Well, I, I know me and Trev have talked about it and talked about it, and this year now that I've got the the so the so-called secret hole, I think we're. Uh, we're going to put a, a good run at it when the water cools down. So we should just get Scott to come up and teach us. Yeah, how to just pay, Shenandoah. Hey, come down to Virginia and show us how it's done. Oh, I've been wanting to hit Virginia up for so long. I see these guys down there catching all these musky. It's like, oh, yeah. Get yeah. Yeah. Well, well, you got the end now. I, I, I've got the launch for you. It's a private launch and nobody fishes them up there. So, well, I'm going to definitely hit you guys up, but, um, so a good time to go down there is in the winter, huh? Yeah, yeah, because it takes a lot to get this water to cool down. Okay. So. Yeah, because I sometimes up here it gets so cold you can't fish. It freezes everything yeah, you, up. When you guys freeze over, our water is perfect. Okay. I'll definitely, early, early spring. Yeah. I, when it's I, still cool. Enjoy coming down there for a few days fishing with you guys. So Yeah, that would be an absolute blast. Well, All right. Scott. Thank you guys yeah it's been an absolute pleasure we've had a blast i know i'm all geeked up like wishing i could go out and start fiddling around with it right now but I know. you know i gotta wait uh <laughs> but we'll get to it and uh, hopefully we'll get some some more eyes and interest going in on this and uh get some more people sent your way so i appreciate that very much thanks for having me on guys hey it's an absolute pleasure and for everyone out there listening i mean this is a fish of a, a lifetime get out there go try it Go catch you one. And uh, until then, guys, thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive. <laughs>